Welcome to another exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast actively promoting a jelly wrestling match between Phil Gould and Buzz Rothfield. The best part is you wouldn't need to buy any of the expensive jelly, there's already plenty attached to the competitors' bodies. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show we'll be discussing the prospect of returning on May 28th, the spat that has developed between Channel 9 and the NRL, as well as what the season should look like if indeed it does return to our screens in May. Just a reminder as well, you can follow the show on all social media platforms. That's Twitter, Facebook, Grinder, you name it. Just search the handle at Voluntary Tackle and keep up with all of our thoughts and opinions on the greatest game of all. But first, I'm joined by two men today who once starred in an unsuccessful remake of The Odd Couple. Namely because they both wanted to be the tidy gay guy for some reason. It's Xander Risotto and Media Watch Mario. Welcome, lads. What made it unsuccessful by any year? Just out of curiosity, I thought we did pretty well. The whole idea, um, Xander, of the odd couple is that uh, they're odd, uh, that you, they're an unlikely match. But when you both become really fastidious and homosexual, um, it's it's just not as compelling viewing. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I think there's a TV series, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, that actually begs to differ. I mean, it's basically a bunch of the same type of people uh, providing advice. And, you know, I mean, it ran for at least, I think, 12 episodes. Look, Mario, I want to know from you, mate, why did no one want to be the sort of Walter Matthau of that unlikely duo? Is it because he caught pneumonia while working on the set of Grumpy Old Men in the 90s? I think it's because neither of us could grow, in a, could grow an appropriate moustache and pull it off. Do you think that's what, uh, where all the comedy rested with Walter Matthau? I think definitely that's the case. And you know what? While you're talking about, you know, the odd couple, you're talking about Grinder. the voluntary tackle sounds like a very different meaning if you're on Grinder. We have very much changed the business model of the voluntary tackle on Grinder, As you said, Mario, you rightly pointed out, there's a lot of faces directly going up the rectums of different sheep. That's a digression, obviously. That's for another time and another time slot. But look, I don't know if you knew this, but you know when uh, Walter Matthau, I mean, because why not talk about Walter Matthau on a rugby league podcast? It seems appropriate. Um, you know, when he actually did uh, genuinely get pneumonia, um, it actually made him much grumpier because he was able to spit phlegm at Jack Lemon on cue. And it actually became a much funnier a film as a result of that. So I thought I'd just furnish you with that fun fact before we get into rugby league. My life is now richer for it. Thank you. Boys, how have we both been? Um, we're obviously all in lockdown. Uh, we're confined to our homes. Unless, of course, you're Sam Newman and you're off playing a, a good couple of rounds of 18. Uh, Xander, let's start with you, mate. How's your week been in lockdown? Any tips for our listeners on how to preserve their sanity? Um, no, I'm all out of tips, mate. My, my, my sanity is slowly leaving me, I, I hate to say it. And uh, I'm sure that this podcast will reveal some of that. We were just talking off air before. You were mentioning that your dog, uh, well, I'm not going to mention her name because I think it gives away your, your identity, but your dog knows when you're being recorded, which I think is quite intelligent. Can you walk us through that? How does she know you're actually on Zoom calls? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's as soon as she sees me talking to a screen, it's like this, that she, she basically 
90% of the time, unless she's hungry, will just kind of do her own thing and sit in the corner in her, in her crate and ignore me. But for whatever reason, if I'm talking to a screen, it makes her uh, decide that uh, she needs my attention right now and will jump like right in front of it. And it's almost like she's, she thinks I'm talking to another dog. She's getting jealous. <laughs> and it's, and it's, and it's, and so she comes over and it's like basically tells me to stop talking to that other bitch. I had no idea your dog was so ingenious and it did tricks. We should almost call you Xander Exotic. The, the dog king, yeah, why not? What about you, Mario? Have you got some tips for our listeners on how to uh, preserve your mental well-being whilst being restricted to your couch? Uh, in, as a serious answer, we've been taking our kids on regular bike rides and that helps get a little bit of the um, absolute craziness out of them because otherwise they're just hitting each other nonstop. That, that's always fun. Okay, so if you don't take your kids out on a bicycle, they become inherently violent. Pretty much. I think it's, it's, it must be a, a family thing. Okay. Are you, are you riding directly to a child psychologist? Because that sounds like it might be an issue for a family. No, we've been banned from all the local child psychologists. Look, on that really dark note, I think we should probably kick into some rugby league. And look, the NRL Innovation Committee, boys, uh, was very quick in making a date for the NRL's return. Now, for anyone not following along, the date set is currently the 28th of May. But the decision was quick to come under fire from many quarters, as the date so far appears to be just that, a date. Not many other details have been released just yet with the Innovation Committee spokesperson Wayne Pearce suggesting the date was simply released to provide the rugby league world with, in quote, certainty. But the question we're asking on the show today is this. Has the release of a date simply created more confusion around the prospect of a 2020 season return? We'll start with you, Xander. Yes. Uh, Yes, it has. Um, Because if you release a date after a myriad of plans have been put forward, um, with all kinds of safeguards suggested and then don't appear to have considered any of those plans and just have the date standing alone. Well, then you, you, you raise the question <laughs> rightly as to whether or not you actually know what you're doing. I think that's kind of where we've ended up and we've all been fairly supportive of them trying to find a, a way to get the game going and, and believing that if they can put in the, the necessary safeguards, that it's a, you know, we'd all love to see it back. But that's kind of the sticking point, right? If they can put those necessary state safeguards in. and just releasing a date and not having and appearing uh, to have dumped a lot of the, uh, the potential um, uh, safeguards for preventing the spread of the virus. They've, they've gotten rid of the bubble idea, the island idea, all these different things that have been floated and basically just seemingly said, fuck it, we'll play. Um, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence and it makes you question whether or not they, they'll actually be able to get the necessary go-ahead to actually start on that date. So it, it just makes it look disorganised, to be honest. I mean, look, that's my immediate impression. I thought it was an unusual thing to do when you weren't willing to release any of the surrounding detail. Mario, what do you reckon the logic is behind releasing a date and virtually nothing else? I don't think there's any logic there at all, except for the fact that Having heard Wayne Pierce interviewed on um, Sports Best Friends, I think it was last year, he does seem like a pretty smart bloke. So I'm going to assume that he's got some sort of a, a plan. It's just really strange to fill us with doubts and confusion by giving us no details. It's basically more like Scott Morrison's in charge of the NRL. You know, you say something interesting there, uh, Mario. You said Wayne Pierce is a smart man, and I'm not here to disagree with that at all. But his son is Mitchell Pierce. I'm not sure if you've ever seen him interviewed or not. I'm smarter than my dad was, so you know, I don't think it necessarily 
follows, you know, it can go both directions perhaps. Pierce's dad basically gave all the smarts in that genetic pool to him and there was nothing left for Mitchell after. Okay, I see your logic. So it's not a case of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And the fruit that has fallen from that tree is completely bereft of any anything of value. Well, look, the thing that strikes me about this, guys, and tell me if you agree with me or not, but um, by releasing a date and very little other detail, for me it's sort of given a free shot to the likes of Peter Fitzsimons, for example, um, who'd like to see the NRL sold off to a foreign interest and broken up into little pieces. They can now look at this date, any critics of the NRL, and say, See, these guys are endangering people's lives. Do you think the Innovation Committee or Peter Volandis or that guy who recently got fired, Todd Greedberg, had considered this kind of repercussion? I mean, you have to think they would have known that it was coming. Um, it sounds to me from, from the reporting that's been done on it to date as though this was a, uh, a decision that was made almost before the um, Innovation Committee was set up and that they've effectively reverse engineered everything around it. Um, they work backwards from there, and and um, that's a worry. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was an article um, by Andrew Webster where he basically was quoting a member of the Innovation Committee who was blindsided by the announcement of the date. And that is a worry, and that that indicates that the committee and um, all the things surrounding it were were kind of set up to provide the appearance of due diligence without there actually being due diligence done. And that's that's my concern. So, Mario, what Xander's suggesting there almost seems like it's satire. Uh, is there a chance that the NRL have created a committee uh, with all of the determinations preconceived and the committee was simply set up to receive recommendations it was never going to take on anyway? Well, I mean, I did just compare them to Scott Morrison and if I would hope that you guys have seen shows like Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister and know that a lot of those committees are purely set up to meet a particular... Um, outcome that is predetermined. So it makes sense. There's a, there's a great line in Yes Minister that goes to that. I think it was uh, the, the point was uh, setting up impartial committees. How can we influence them? They said, well, train tracks are impartial, but if you lay the um, if train cars are impartial, but if you lay the tracks down, that's the way they go. You know what I love about this? Just how wonderfully cynical our NRL podcast is. And You know what it is? We've been brainwashed by Channel 9's agenda. I have to say, when I first heard the news, given that the announcement came out with, with few details, my first action was to go and find out, well, okay, how, do they, how are they thinking about making this happen? And uh, unfortunately, I found out pretty quickly that they hadn't released any of that information. So the first thing I did was try to find an interview with someone on that NRL Innovation Committee. And I did see Fox Sports interview Wayne Pierce, And that's the thing that probably worried me the most. When I, after that interview, I realised... He had no idea what the NRL competition would look like if it went ahead. He talks simply about certainty, the idea of the game needing certainty, the rugby league world needing certainty, players for mental health reasons needing certainty. Uh, Xander, what do you what do you think about that? The concept that we needed to put a date forward simply for everyone's mental health. It seems to kind of ignore a lot of the practicalities, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, I can see what they're doing, but it's the kind of thing you do internally, right? You, you put, you put, you say, look, um, you know, come hell or high water, we're going to make this date, but you don't announce it to the public without any details. I think, I think it's something you can put forward as a goal. I mean, you can think of it maybe as a sort of release date for a film or a game or something like that. You, you put in a hard date to give everyone deadlines, and I can understand that. Um, but you know, when it's something like the current circumstance, I think you either either keep that internal until you've got solid details around how it's going to operate or, you know, you 
wait until you have those details before you make it public. Mario, should this have all been done behind closed doors, in your opinion? It wouldn't have improved the coverage they got regardless because the reality is negative media want to be negative and they were going to find a way regardless. So I'm not sure there was any benefit. I mean, maybe they are doing it partly behind closed doors and they just got backed into a corner and had to give a date of some sort just to shut people up. Who knows? I, I do have a question about the... Um, I don't know, we don't know, but let's say it is the mooted 15 rounds and everyone plays each other once, you're still going to regardless have people complaining about an unfair draw because we know Brisbane will get the Friday night games. That's a gimme. But also, you're, ha- you're going to have an uneven amount of rounds, which means there's an uneven amount of home versus away games. So some teams will get more away games, some teams will get fewer. And that means there's going to be people um, complaining about the fact that, oh, how come my team only got, only got seven home games and that team got eight? That's not fair. Well, I think that's you've raised an interesting point, Mario, and one we certainly were going to get into. Let's talk about it now. Look, I've been thinking about this. If it does turn out to be an abbreviated competition and, and everyone effectively ends up playing each other once, look, I know I'm not the first to make this point, but it's almost a purer competition in terms of evenness and equality, I would have thought, because obviously the normal draw revolves around some teams playing some teams twice, which I never quite understand how they determine exactly um, some teams end up playing the Warriors and the Titans twice. Um, that seems to be a significant advantage. But you'd imagine, Xander, in a model like this, if every team was to play each other just the once, you really couldn't get it fairer than that, could you? I actually agree with that because, I mean, the general 26-round um, competition format, you, you have that complaint anyway, right? I mean, that, that certain teams um, play the Titans twice, for example, whilst other teams play Melbourne twice. I mean, playing the Titans twice, you might as well have the bye. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, yeah, in a certain sense, I agree with you. I actually think that it, that is, um, it, it could be fair. And in a, in a like in previous episodes of this show, I've actually said in an ideal world, I actually would like to see the competition um, revert, well, not revert, but um, reduce to a 15 round or one round per team competition so they can make more room for internationals and potentially like an expanded world club challenge series all kinds of stuff like that um that i actually think would would make the game more interesting and a little bit more balanced between rep and and club in a way you've got what you've wanted right it all all it took was a pandemic a virus created out of a chinese lab and unleashed on the international community you've got your wish that's it. I do take um the point of people like the uh, the godfather of uh, the mighty sydney roosters nick politis that there are certain assumptions um, that teams sort of made going into this year around it being a 26-week competition and so you start the season slowly, etc. I mean, it does make it a little bit awkward to manage. If, like us, you rested your captain and not expecting that you're going to have a full, a full season ahead of you. Mario, let's address the really well-bribed elephant in the room. Nick Politis, obviously this is a very Roosters-biased podcast. We make no apologies for that. Uh, we, we see things in red, white and blue, very rarely in green because we hate Souths, so we're never envious of anyone. On this occasion, um, I do think the godfather of the Roosters, Nick Politis, is off the mark by suggesting that the point system should be reset to zero. I'm giving you a free platform here. Uh, What did you make of the assertion that all the points from the first two rounds should be reset? I'm really disappointed to hear that you're not on board with him because I really wanted to attack you over it, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my team is down in 10th so you know we would have benefited from a resetting of the points in theory but I think it's the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life 
it's got to be dead well maybe not the stupidest but it, it's I was going to say man Ricky Stewart once uh, put forward that there should be a forward pass on every set of six so please <laughs> yes. yeah save so us for hyperbole <laughs> it's a really stupid idea because the reality is it's a competition it's a 2020 competition I don't give, give a crap how many games need to be played those games were played in good faith by everybody and they count it's as simple as that I agree with you, mate, but let's play devil's advocate here. And, of course, I can do that literally because we're talking about Nick Politis, and I believe he is uh, the right-hand man of Satan. Um, but, you know, what about the idea of taking the integrity of the competition um, by, by having a reduced competition? And as Xander said before, a lot of teams were planning for the race to be a lot longer. Um, I'm not sure of an appropriate analogy. Talk, talk, maybe it's horse racing. If you were, We were planning for a, a Melbourne Cup and it's turned into a 1,400-metre race. Is it unfair if uh, Stables had, in that analogy, prepared the horse to be running the, 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 the two miles and not the 1,400? Yeah, because you totally planned to lose those first two games. You just decided Manly can win because we'll, we'll win later in the 24 rounds. No, nah, garbage, utter garbage. You wanted to win both those games. You didn't win them. That's life. Move on. I disagree because it's not about planning to lose games. It's about it's about pacing yourself. And and to take the the racing analogy, it is a little bit like thinking you're running a marathon, and so conserving your energy early on. You don't want everyone to be ahead of you. You don't plan for everyone to race out ahead of you, but you're conserving your energy because you think you've got 42 kilometers to run. But then you you know you you run you run the first step. Uh, the, the first three kilometers and all of a sudden they've told you actually it's going to be a 15 kilometer race. Um, so, you know, it's a bit harder to make up that ground. So that's, that's more the issue. And, and that is, that is why it's a valid criticism, whether or not it's fair to say you should start from scratch, I think is, is a separate issue almost, but I think it, it's, it is accurate to acknowledge that it makes it a slightly awkward uh, season. There's no doubt that the 2020 season is going to be an awkward season and no one's planned on this. No one wanted this. The fact is we have to try and find, a, I guess, a fair, happy medium that exists in between. And um, while I acknowledge that, you know, it probably isn't something that the Roosters, for example, planned on, as Mario said, we certainly didn't plan on losing. There is a whole bunch of teams that have played and they've lost players for the season. I mean, Reed, Reed Mahoney comes to mind for the Parramatta Eels. If he, He's done an ACL and he's out for the season. So if we were to reset points, we're essentially telling that club, I'm sorry you've lost one of your most promising attacking weapons, that game didn't count. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think this is why, why I actually don't agree with them saying they should start on um, zero points, even though it would really upset Mitchell Pierce, which I'm absolutely in favour of. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do think, I do think it's, it's also, you know, these things can both be true at the same time. I think it's, it's, it, it's accurate to say it's not fair to um, restart the competition points, but it's also accurate to say that, uh, you know, this is this makes the competition a little bit awkward um, because people didn't expect this, and not everybody, uh, not every team has started um, like say the Melbourne Storm, where they they always charge out of the gates, you know. That's but right. honestly, this comp is really weak. I think, as in, there's a there's a good ten teams. I think we agreed a, a little while ago. There's maybe only seven teams that matter. So I think eighth place is probably only going to need seven wins in a 15-round competition. So I'm pretty sure if East are good enough, they'll make the eight regardless of these two games. It shouldn't matter. If you're the best team in the comp, which you want to be, then you'll make it. And the same with Manly being only one win from two. 
we'll win the amount of games required to make the top eight. And if we don't, we don't deserve to be there. To push on a little bit with this May 28 restart date, one of the we've obviously talked about the fact that they haven't released a lot of details, but one of the few hints we have picked up is that the NRL appears intent on running a competition almost as though it's business as usual uh, when, they, when they actually do resume. I, I would have thought that's a bit of a pipe dream given the current health climate. Uh, what happened to the bubble? Because I thought that was a viable um, alternative, but it looks as though they're looking to go as business as usual, all playing every game in the state of New South Wales. Xander, is that something that's achievable? Because it just doesn't seem real. Well, there are probably two things on this. I mean, I have a friend of mine who works in sort of public health policy and um, he, uh, interestingly enough, was incredibly sceptical about the logistical um, capacity of any sporting competition to manage what effectively is a military operation uh, in, in setting up a bubble like this. Um, he didn't think that there was any chance in hell, uh, given the complexities that he was aware in running it, for them to do it. And actually thought they would be better off just waiting for the numbers to stabilise and just trying to proceed as normal without crowds. So there is a school of thought that um, actually this might make more sense. And uh, the idea of the bubble, the second thing is that it actually could make things worse uh, under certain conditions. So if somebody does get it and everyone's in a bubble, it could be a little bit like a a cruise ship effect where um, if you don't manage it incredibly strictly, you, you could actually make the contagion worse within the group. Uh, Mario, the thing that I seemed to glean from this was the fact that they were taking projections or models uh, put forward by health authorities about this infection rate dipping well below the 2%. That seemed to be uh, ev- what everything hinged on. It just seemed a bit like it was an assumption to to presume that uh, by May 28, the infection rate was 100% definitely going to be at a level where we can have players moving around over borders, whether it be Queensland, Victoria or New Zealand. I know that they have a, a letter given from the New South Wales Police Commissioner suggesting that they're allowed to do it, but none of the other uh, health officials or political figures seem to be really endorsing it. What's your take on that? Look, I think it was a bit of a... I, I agree. I think it probably looked like a bit of a random thing, but it does look like they might just pull it off in terms of timing because the we have you know flattened that curve as we love to say and it does look like it's it the infection rate is reducing already with america having this huge re- infection rate they're, they're apparently about to or probably had just haven't i haven't seen the news um about to re- relax their restrictions a little bit i'm hoping we don't do that yet but given that may 28 is you know five almost six weeks away um that maybe we might actually get away with it and the things you know, maybe one of the first restrictions that can come down is for professional sports stars or something, and they'll just start to ease things off, and that would be enough for them to be able to have chartered international flights safely. You know, it's it's funny you say that. So we had the sports minister, I think his name's Richard Colbeck, he, he said that the May 28 plan was ambitious. A lot of people are using the word ambitious, I've noticed, when it comes to politics at least. They flagged border restrictions specifically as the major issue. That was uh, with regard to Queensland and New Zealand. If, for example, Queensland teams and and the New Zealand Warriors can't immediately come to the party, what's plan B there, Xander? Do you think that there's a, a scenario where the NRL kicks off May 28 without those teams and they play catch-up games later or something? Ooh. 
I, I mean, I really don't know how you work that. I mean, I think you put them at a massive handicap if you're trying to make them. How, do, how does a catch-up game work in practice? It means you'd have to have them playing multiple times a week. That'd be like putting them through origin effectively. Um, and, you know, what does that mean for the teams that they're playing against? I, I think it's a, you know, we're already starting the competition with, um, uh, you know, with, with teams effectively uh, being somewhat uh, handicapped by the way they started this season. Um, so I think you're just adding an, an additional element that'll that'll make it fairly lopsided. And I, I think they need to find another solution there. We'll let our listeners have the final word on this opening segment. Now, we asked them what they thought in terms of the NRL going ahead by its slated 28th of May date. Uh, 46.6% said yes, while 53.4% said no. So the rugby league community, lads, looks as though they're sceptical when it comes to the NRL going ahead? I, I did expect that given the amount of detail um, we've seen from the NRL to date. And as you said, the somewhat unprepared um, interview we saw from uh, uh, Dr. Wayne Pierce. What's Wayne Pierce a doctor of, mate? Is he a professor of platitudes? You know, it's a good question, actually. I, I, don't, I don't believe his thesis was ever published, but I, 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 imagine, I imagine it was, it was probably on something like the psychological effects of never winning a premiership. Maybe that's it. Or he put together a hypothesis about how a relatively smart man uh, could procreate and create a, a man who had no brain whatsoever. Uh, Mario, what about you in terms of where rugby league uh, listeners are at? Is that where you saw the zeitgeist at? I voted on that poll and I did vote yes because I do think it'll go ahead. I'm just not convinced it'll necessarily be able necessarily be able to finish the season. I'm also, believe it or not, I'm not that upset if the season starts and then doesn't finish. I would just really, really hope we could at least get two or three rounds in to get some um, completely unopposed access to America and Europe and England to really get some people watching but obviously mm. it'd be nice if the season finishes but I think this is such a huge opportunity and I just see watch NRL and Foxtel being absolute douchebags about it and expecting people in America to pay for the access to see a sport that I give a shit about rather than you know getting it on somewhere that can people can watch it which surely would be a good long-term goal. Mario I'm interested in what you said there you think that you're skeptical about whether or not the season will finish what's driving that um, doubt? Just the fact that they keep saying that coronavirus will come in waves and, you know, it may well be that we get two or three rounds in, but once one player gets it, then you pretty much have to shut down just like what happened in America because we're in a sport where we're hands all over people. You know, imagine uh, Jason Talmalolo turns out that he's gotten it and it's three days after he's just played. Well, every single player on the opposition team has probably tackled him because of the amount of runs he's done. So therefore, every single one of them is, you know, is having to be isolated and that's it. Comp's done because you can't have an, in, an entire club, you know, taken out by the virus and expect the game to be able to continue. Getting run over the top of by Tamalolo, I think COVID-19 is the least of your dramas. The reason you picked out JT, it seemed a bit racist. Why did you pick out a man of colour when you said that? Because he runs more than any other bastard in the comp and gets tackled more than any other bastard in the comp. Now he's a bastard. I don't know. We've opened up a can of worms here, Mario. Uh, look, we're going to um, mention a few of the uh, comments we had below this poll as well. The first one comes from Ross Martin, 1960. He said, I voted no. I hope like hell they do, and I support them for trying to get the competition up and running again. I just feel there are too many hurdles to jump over. 
Having said that, I'll be cheering the loudest at kickoff time. They hope they achieve the impossible. So there's some optimism there. Uh, we also had a comment here from Jeff M., who said, no, because they won't get it together in time, I think, two to three weeks later. So he thinks that it will happen, but maybe not by May 28. And the last comment from NRL Conspiracies, he said, Ross summed it up perfectly. As much as I'd hoped May 28, June 25 is when I thought it would restart, even before the May 28 date was announced. If you listen to what's coming out of Queensland right now, it highlights that there are states and country borders that still need to be worked through. Is that where you guys are at? Do you, I mean, do you think that these are valid concerns? I think it is a valid concern because it pretty much just, uh, bal- you know, matches what I just said. I, I feel like May 28 might just be a little bit too soon, but it, it's up in the air. And the fact is that feeling really comes from nowhere. It's not like I'm a scientist. So maybe they're talking to people that are smarter than us who know more than us. And I just have to hope that they're doing the right thing. I'm very upset, Mario, that you're not a scientist. I mean, obviously, I invited you on this program specifically because of your medical credentials. So that is a little bit disappointing for me. We'll finish this segment uh, from with the comment of Mo Jabara on Twitter, who said, I'm thinking 2021, just too much uncertainty at the moment. What a Debbie Downer. More after this. Welcome back to The Voluntary Tackle. Now, uh, Darius Boyd came out during the week and said if the comp was to be played entirely in Sydney, he'd sooner retire than play down here for the remainder of the year. So at least there's one major incentive to play the entire competition in Sydney. Boys, what do we think about players who are coming out and saying that even if the comp does go ahead, they may not be part of it? I'm wondering, can I just insert a gif here? You know, bye Felicia. (laughs) By all means. I mean, it's a non-visual medium, but I think our listeners will get the sentiment. I mean, I, I get Darius's point of view. And if I know it's my last year, I probably say screw it as well. But he has to then forfeit. I, it's probably not fair to make anyone forfeit their entire contract in those circumstances. But um, I think at best you get half. And I don't. I suppose the big question is does the club have to wear it from the salary cap or can they replace that person I feel like you probably have to pay them half but you don't pay any of the salary cap towards them and you can hire someone else if you have the money that's I don't know what do you think it's an interesting quandary isn't it because when you say hire someone else I mean it's not always immediately certain where they that someone else would come from Xander what about you what if uh, in this situation you could actually assure the safety of players and yet you might still get a Darius Boyd type who says, no, I don't really want to do it. In this case, for him, I think the sticking point is moving down to play permanently in New South Wales. I'm not sure if it really has anything to do with coronavirus. Uh, but what do you think about that? Do you think that there should be a salary cap dispensation in that instance? I do, th- I do think there should be, but particularly because there are plenty of players in England available for the rest of this year with nothing to do. Uh, Jimmy Maloney has already stated that he'd want to come I'm back. Bevan French is in Australia at the moment. Um, there was a couple of other people who were trying to get back here at, over the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure whether or not they did, but you know, I had thought to myself, the Dragons want to take Moses Suley. Manly should be saying, buy Suley, and then using that money to replace him with um, Maloney. Wouldn't that be a major logistical issue to get a player from overseas? I mean, borders are already a problem domestically in Australia. We've had Palaszczuk come out and say, I don't really want people moving across our New South Wales-Queensland border. The idea of bringing someone from France or England, Xander, surely that's even a tougher situation, isn't it? 
Yeah, I would, I would assume so, um, given the current restrictions. Uh, I mean, from that said, the UK and France, their, their travel restrictions, I don't actually think they're as severe as, say, New Zealand's, right? I think they actually can, as Australian citizens, return home. Um, and all they would do would just be have to observe the 14-day quarantine period um, before rejoining. So if they were to do it immediately, then, yeah, absolutely, it's feasible. Uh, I guess on the broader question of, of Darius Boyd, and other players wanting to, to not come to Sydney, um, the feeling is mutual. <laughs> we're, we're more than happy not to have them. Um, I think, yeah, look, shouldn't force players to, to come here and, and play in, in a bubble if they want to be their family, speaking about it like bluntly. Um, but I don't think you change the plans of the game based on it. I mean, for me, I'm thinking about this from the point of view of, I guess, precedence. And obviously we've had kangaroo tours where players go away from their family for something like six to eight weeks. Now, obviously, Darius Boyd would never have experienced that because um, he's obviously never played for a representative team of note. But what about good players? Uh, what of what about the people like Cameron Smith, who is still saying that he thinks resuming uh, by this date is a bad idea? He's been there, done it all before, been away from his family. Mario, because you're such a big fan of Cameron Smith, I'll start with you. Why are players still kicking up a fuss? It seems like they've been as weak as piss to me. You know my answer to this. Bye, Smith. Fuck off. You suck. The reality is, he, it's the same as Darius. Smith figures he's coming to the end. Why bother putting himself out like that? And I do get his point of view. I actually genuinely do. As much as I wanted to, you know, rub my elbow into his ugly, smug face, I think he's he's okay to say that he doesn't want to play. But he, I, I say, don't fucking put your stupid you know, old man opinion onto the rest of the comp because they're all desperate to play. You've got, imagine all the kids who are, you know, 18 years old, 19 years old, who might have gotten a first grade gig this year and then they miss out and you never know, they might not get another chance. There's too many, too many people whose future careers are relying on this, whereas Darius and Smith, they've been there, done that. They're not going to lose anything by not playing. But the fact is there's spots out there for people who can have a chance to prove themselves. And you never know when, you know, a, a Brad Parker of the world who was a laughing stock two years ago and now is, you know, origin bolter potentially because he's playing that well. You don't know if he'd missed that opportunity of a good half of the season, he might have never played again. And we don't want to miss out on players like that just because Cam Smith can't be fucked getting off his ass. Now, I do take exception to the fact that uh, you call Cameron Smith an old man when he's my age. But Xander, does Mario have a point there that uh, people like Cameron Smith might be just looking for an early retirement plan? It might have nothing to do with the NRL's plans or safety. I, uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that um, uh, Mario has been really re uh, responsible by saying that he would rub his elbow into Cam Smith's face, you know, following full contact precautions. I think that's very responsible. Um, I... I uh, uh, I actually agree with those sentiments largely. I think that, you know, if uh, they don't want to play um, and they have concerns, it is largely coming from a position um, of uh, 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 privilege in in their um, in both instances. They're both players who are uh, nearing the end of their uh, their careers and are probably ready to move on to other things anyway. I mean. With Cam Smith, it's hard to say. I keep hoping he's going to be moving on to other things, but he keeps fucking playing. Um, but it's uh, it's quite right um, uh, to say um, that uh, for younger people, it's a very different calculus. I mean, they'll they'll be chomping at the bit to get out there, right? They want it. They want any opportunity that they can. Cam Smith has done it all. Doesn't need to do any more. So it's it's it, he has that ability to sit back and say, "Not not worth it." 
but I think it's a bit it, it is a bit selfish when um, when you put it in that context of, of other players who are just starting out and need every chance they can get. What about the repercussions, fellas, of players who decide, not necessarily people at the end of their career, uh, there have been other players that have expressed some concern about pushing ahead um, if there are some conflicting advice around safety, for example. What should be the repercussions for that player? Now, Murray, you've already flagged that maybe there's a partial payment system and that the club gets a salary dispensa- salary cap dispensation potentially. Um, but should there be any uh, scope for maybe more drastic measures? Because wouldn't the NRL want to create an incentive for players to want to play? Is there is there room for the idea of players not getting paid at all? What do you think about that, Mario? I, don't, I just don't think that's fair because this is such an extraordinary circumstance to expect them to just, you know, they've signed a contract in good faith to play the season under regular circumstances, but saying you've got to live in Sydney when you don't live in Sydney, that's not regular circumstances. They've, you know, that's people who've got a brand new baby. They shouldn't have to spend six months away. It's not, it's not a, a cricket tour where you've got to go by boat. That's not this sport. We live in the 21st century. I don't think we should hold them to 20th century rules. And I, I just want to note, Mario, that I enjoyed you your reference to a brand new baby as though you've just bought it new from Harvey Norman. I really enjoyed that with a 12-month warranty. Look, we put this out to social as well. We asked if the NRL goes ahead and some players opt not to play what should happen to them? Now, the options were they earn the same as always, i.e. whatever their contract is under the collective bargaining agreement, or that they get a reduction in pay, or that no pay at all for 2020, or the most drastic option, their contract gets torn up. Now, I threw that just in there because I've, I've got a lot of the uh, sort of Chinese draconian government about me. I just thought I'll put that in as a fourth option. Um, now, the punters, 49.2% went with reduction in pay. Uh, followed by no pay at all for 27.9%. Very few people were going for earn the same as always. Uh, But funnily enough, having their contract torn up came in third. So there's a touch of brutality out there in the rugby league world. Um, Guys, were we surprised by that result at all? No, not really. I thought, um, (laughs) I mean, you know, the sentiment from from most people I've seen on social is that, you know, if they don't want to play and the game is still going, I mean, you almost or to pay them pro rata, right? I mean, why would you pay them when they're not playing? Look, I'm a silver linings guy. So, look, COVID-19, clearly not a good thing. People are dying. But if it means the premature retirement of Cameron Smith, it's a 50-50. More after this. Welcome back to the Voluntary Tackle. Now, if indeed the comp does resume, and we hope it does, uh, the major money spinner for the sport is, of course, State of Origin. Uh, We've already alluded to this briefly already, but it brings in millions of dollars for the sport and it would stand to reason it would need to be played in order to recoup some of the hemorrhaging uh, that the NRL has endured from the suspension of the competition so far. But the question we're asking on the show today is, when and where should the series be scheduled? We're going to start with you, Mario. How would you like to see it played out? There's been a lot of ideas tossed around, particularly at the Innovations Committee. Wayne Pearce has agreed with all of them. What do you say? In theory, I prefer the after the grand final, but I don't see it actually happening. What what there could be a positive out of this is it might make them just trial a standalone origin, three straight weekends or something like that, or you know, week origin, regular origin, regular origin, that sort of thing. I'm not sure. I, I really don't know what the best method is. I suppose the best method is whatever they can pull off. Look, I'll just press you on that point, Mario. You said you don't see it happening after the grand final. What what makes you think that? 
I think it would just be too hard because, you know, every Tigers player is already in Bali by, by the start of the finals and Titans and that sort of stuff. To expect the one good player from each team to hang around on the off chance they might get selected, it, it's just... It just doesn't really seem realistic to me. I mean, there's certain teams that we know aren't going to make the finals. The Titans, the Dragons, they're definitely not going to make the finals. The Warriors. So there's, but there's still players in each of those teams that could theoretically get selected for Origin. So do we say to them, yeah, that's fine, guys, but don't enjoy your end of year trip. Oh, guess what? You didn't get selected anyway. Again, Ryan James sucked in. I think it was fairly frivolous for you to suggest anyone from the Tigers was going to make Origin. But I'll go to you, Xander. Um, do you think that there's any credence to holding the State of Origin after the Grand Final? Because personally, I think that's the best option, given the abbreviated season. Um, I mean, I'm not totally opposed to some of the other options, but unless it's before the season, I think that's outrageously bad. Um, but for me, I could see it potentially being played after the Grand Final. What are your thoughts on this? I agree. I, I really can't see how it works where you, if you were going to put it in the middle of the season, you would almost disrupt the entire season, right? I mean, it takes normally, what, six weeks to play out and, uh, under the normal uh, Wednesday format. I mean, it was truncated slightly when they uh, had that um, rep weekend uh, uh, version that they tried the last couple of years. But the, the thinking was they were moving away from that because Wednesday just rated better. Um, so, I mean, you know, if, if it's going to take six weeks and really that will impact probably more more like two months that's that's half the competition um you're going to impact on uh just through state of origin disruption so i it just doesn't seem to me to make any sort of sense to try and make it work through the middle of the season well mario suggested there mate and it's a, it's a fairly sound suggestion that look the, 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 the template doesn't have to be the way it's been running before that it might not have to run over six weeks in fact there's been a lot of talk about it maybe running over three to four weeks um, would it work then as a mid-season fixture if they were to abbreviate it and just for this one-off year, they said we're doing the three games over three or four weeks? Well, I mean, again, you still have problems with that, right? Because then you still, you you, you have, uh, assuming you're still going to do it on Wednesday, I mean, are, you gonna, uh, are they going to pause the NRL for those three weeks? Um, this, the suggestion I've seen is that they just keep it on the Wednesdays and just basically tell the players to back up. I think you're putting a lot of stress on those players um, by trying to do that, I, I think just logistically and also from a you know a, an NRL integrity standpoint, there's all many already enough issues. I think it needs to be played after the season. Yeah, I also wonder. Let's say we did do it just three straight weeks in the middle of the season. Are you then asking all those Tigers and Titans and Warriors players who don't make it? I'm just shout out to all the fans of those teams. Um, well, are I you mean, asking that? You know, are you asking those players just to hang around in Sydney, um, let's say Warriors and Titans players, a place they don't live, and it's just like, bad luck. You can't do anything sucked in. You're just stuck for three weeks playing PlayStation. That's a huge disadvantage to those teams where those players, are, you're going to have to somehow keep them training but keep them isolated and all that sort of thing as well. I also think that seems like a really hard thing to do. You know, you, Xander taught, touched on before the idea of backing up. You know, it wasn't so long ago that kind of backing up was sort of expected unless you copped an injury in origin or, um, you know, you're a star player like a Brad Fittler. He didn't often back up. But most origin players actually backed up over the weekend. It's sort of been over the last 10 years that a lot of players have decided, a lot of clubs probably have decided to 
uh, rest players and there's a lot more knowledge in the room about um, optimum performance and physiology, etc. But do you think there's a one-off year? Obviously, no one predicted a global pandemic that maybe just backing up the reality of this. What do you think about that, Xander? Well, like I said, I just think it, you know, you're know, you just inserting another... I mean, like maybe, yeah, you just you just say cop it on the chin, but I mean, it, this isn't the 1980s. Um, the, the intensity is much higher. They're all full-time professionals. I think it's just different. I think I think that um, when you take into account the the fact that you've you've got so many you've, you've got so many fewer games to make the top eight, if you're going to have you know a, a bunch of teams who will be heavily impacted by Origin, um, yeah, you, you just you, you kind of you, you you make the competition very unbalanced. I think um, I, I I hear your point about you know look. They used to back up back in the day and all the rest of it. But I think it's a very different era. I, I think that the competition has enough issues going into this year as it is. And it's just an, it's a variable that you don't want. Back, back in the 80s, a, a big guy was 95 kilos. And tackling a 95 kilo guy who's running at, you know, 13 seconds for 100 metres is a very different prospect to tackling... Uh, a David Fafita who's, you know, 110 kilos or whatever and running in 11 second 100 metres or something insane. The thing is, the game is so different. It is so much faster. And the players, the wear and tear on their bodies is greater, I believe, than in the 80s. Apart from, you know, there's not all the punching and that sort of wear and tear, but just in terms of the physical brutality of running into these monsters, you know, when you've got wingers like a Greg Inglis of the world who can run at this ridiculous speed, but way over 100 kilos, trying to tackle someone like that is just such a different prospect. And when you take Origin, which is that next level up, those players' bodies, they need, they genuinely need the rest. That's why you do see so many players, you know, the, the engine room players, I suppose you'd say, who back up, they really struggle. It's relative too, isn't it? Because obviously the strength and conditioning of players is also far superior than what it used to be. So although... The size of these players is 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 much bigger than what they used to be, and the speed at which they run, and the endurance, etc. The people tackling them as well, uh, you know, in terms of recovery, we know so much more than we used to. I do think it's more about protecting an asset for the most part. I think a lot of clubs decide don't let that player back up because it's a high risk of injury, and I think that's the that is the what it comes down to. It's about an injury risk mitigation, isn't it? And and I just wonder in this season being a bit of an anomaly if we all have to suck that up a little bit. I, I still disagree. I mean, I do think that, yeah, like, yeah, the, uh, this, the strength and conditioning and, and recovery stuff has come a certain way. But there, uh, as Mario has kind of pointed out, like there are certain laws of physics here at, at the same time. And you know, you're dealing with much um, more brutal collisions in the modern game than you ever were, um, I think, in, in prior eras. I mean, particularly the last uh, 10 to 15 years as they've, they've really... Um, become more effective at um, at uh, bulking players up and the, the style of game that's been played and also, frankly, the influx of um, just bigger bodies, players. You know, we've got a lot more Polynesians in the game than we had in the 80s and 90s as well. Um, I just, I don't really think, I, I, I still think that, you, you you know, telling them to suck that up, you, you still, you're still handicapping a bunch of teams and there's just no other way of putting it. I have had a lot of banter about the idea of the Origin Series taking place at the beginning of the season, uh, when we would have empty stadiums. Mario, I'll start with you on this. State of Origin, in my mind, can't exist without crowds. The idea of having a State of Origin series and players running out in front of empty chairs, 
seems horrendous to me. I'd rather not have it at all, personally. What are your thoughts on that? Can an Origin series survive inside an empty ground? I think if we have a billion people watching it around the world instead of only, you know, 12 million or whatever might normally watch, then it's worth it. Bugger it. You don't think it'll detract from the overall product? Of course it will. It, it will, but it'll still be the greatest product in the world. So that will more than makes up for it. He's right uh, that uh, there's a great opportunity here to, to get it out to the rest of the world. But I also think um, that without the crowds, the product is somewhat diminished. So its appeal might be diminished. So, I mean, ideally, um, you'd almost want a situation where most of the world still at a standstill um, with their own um, uh, lockdown, lockout measures, whilst we actually were allowing crowds back in. So, I mean, in, in, in a perfect world, I would like to see us have the crowds there and have like an 80,000K, you know, capacity of stadium wherever it's going to be played. Um, I don't think they're going to do Adelaide this year anymore, are they? But um, uh, having that full stadium and then having it beamed around the world where there's no other sport being, being played, I think that's, that is the perfect scenario for Origin. So maybe that's, why, that's another reason why you want to put it at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's where I'm leaning with Xander. I think that's my idea. The major motivation for having it after the grand final is the fact that we're far more likely to see full stadiums at that timeline. And for me, State of Origin in particular, um, it is sort of dependent on having that cauldron atmosphere. It's sort of part of the mythology in a weird way. And I guess one thing that is going to be contravened is the idea that we may not be playing Origin in Queensland. How do we feel about the idea of having three Origin games potentially played in New South Wales? I know the Maroons will be pretty ropeable about that. Will there be an asterisk next to the series if that happens, Mario? Well, let's be real. There was asterisks next to half of those um, the series in their in their streak just because of the amount of dodgy ref decisions, like you know, Inglis knocking on over the try line, etc. So, <laughs> or, but, or or Greg Inglis full stop being in Queensland. <laughs> yes, yeah, so fuck fuck the asterisks. Uh, look, if we're going to be serious, I, that's that is another problem I have with Origin happening is because I don't. The, it's always been about there's got to be one in each state, maybe two, but it's not. It's just not a fair system. There is an advantage in in playing. Although maybe is that advantage less because there's no crowd? Maybe there isn't mm. really an advantage. Big shout out to our Queensland listeners. Obviously, uh, we've just given you a nice serve there. You know, I never thought I'd see the day where a Queensland premier was hoping for Origin to be cancelled. Or maybe hoping's too strong a word, but she did come out and say she'd prefer if Origin didn't take place this year. But, you know, Anastasia Palaszczuk, potentially she's just not a huge rugby league fan. But I noticed Peter Beattie came out during the week and suggested that the Premier um, at least owed the NRL to keep an open mind uh, because she was sort of predetermining uh, whether or not Origin could go ahead this year, which is quite a big time frame because obviously the NRL haven't slated when the State of Origin series will go ahead, or even if indeed it will 100% go ahead this year. I'd imagine it probably would. He also said to be particularly charitable to the Gold Coast Cowboys, apparently, because Peter Beattie definitely knows his NRL teams. Are we surprised to see a Queensland Premier adversarial to rugby league, Mario? After all, it is their religion up there, that and wedging cans of 4X up the rectums of cane toads. I think it's definitely the fact that they knew they were going to lose. They've got a garbage team and they're a garbage state and they were just going to perform garbage once again. And is, am I Shout the out only to our person, Queensland listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> am I the only person who kind of... The only reason Origin needs to go ahead is because they need it for the money because it gets ratings. But personally, if it, for some reason didn't go ahead, I wouldn't miss it. I'm much more interested in 
the season being, you know, feeling more legitimate than I am in giving a shit about Origin. If the NRL is to push ahead in 2020, there's absolutely no way in my mind that the State of Origin series doesn't go ahead. It's a question of what does it look like and when does it take place. We did put this question out to Twitter as well. We asked, when would you like to see a State of Origin series played in 2020? The options were before the season restarts, midway through a delayed season, after the grand final, or scrapped altogether. Uh, 41.3%, which was the biggest answer, was after the grand final, followed by midway through a delayed season with 34.7%. The other options uh, trail quite badly. Before the season, only got 4%. Scrapped altogether, more than I thought. One in five people thought we should scrap it altogether. Um, We had a couple of comments below it, but I think we'll lead with Gavin. Big shout out to at Ernie Oz, who said, I'd rather a Four Nations test series, Australia, New Zealand, England, Tonga, but I know it won't happen. (laughs) Um, Xander, I know you're a big international man. Do you think... You'd rather see a international series go ahead of Origin. If, if it, for me, if it was between um, Origin and the Ashes Tour, I'd go the Ashes Tour. What a Sophie's choice! I know I'm um, in the minority on that one, but I also think I, I just think that those Kangaroos tours do a ton of good for the game in England. I mean, it, they they will pack out every stadium if they're able to, they're able to go out, and people will watch that because you know. The kangaroos in the rugby league community are, are kind of like the All Blacks in England, right? They just have such a reputation. Um, we we don't treat it as seriously, but that is changing. So I I, I think from a whole game standpoint, game standpoint, actually, the kangaroos still would be more beneficial. Wow, very controversial opinions. I know I referred to that as a Sophie's choice before, but in my opinion, it's definitely Origin. So it's more as if you've had a very healthy baby and you've had one that's sort of partially stillborn. Hello, welcome back to The Voluntary Tackle. Now, what the whole COVID-19 dilemma has unearthed, gentlemen, apart from how Peter Volandis looks a bit like a dodgy used car salesman when he's speaking to the media, is a stoush between the NRL and Channel 9. The network launched a vicious tirade on the broadcaster very recently, accusing them of major financial mismanagement. But with Nine telling the stock exchange they stand to save as much as $130 million if the game doesn't return this year, are they just playing silly buggers here, Xander? I think there's a clear conflict of interest. I think um, they have a genuine, well, they have genuine problems within their organisation um, and adapting to the era of screaming. And it's a little bit like um, Fox's uh, barrage of attacks on Raylene Castle and Rugby, Rugby Australia. There's a there's a benefit to them to do that to drive the price down, so they can. Uh, they can get a cheap product and and, um, and still manage their overheads, if you know what I mean. Uh, and I think the same is kind of true of Nine, is that they they booked uh, savings effectively already on the basis that they assumed that uh, this wouldn't go ahead. And they're pissed off that the NRL want to push ahead because they have gone into this year with assumptions that you know they will be getting their their um, uh, contract payments. And you can say what you like about their um, their management of the fact that they don't own their own stadia and all the rest of it. I think that's its own discussion. I think it's a bit rich for Nine to be basically complaining about the poor management of the NRL when effectively that's coming from a, um, the fact that they want to book uh, they want to book savings because their own books are in such a poor state. Mario, I think Xander makes a pretty sound point there. It is a bit rich coming from a channel who sinks so much money into shitty comedies like. Um... What's that bloody stupid one on the weekend called? Um, 
60 minutes. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit rich coming from a network that does that. And they are in sort of deep financial shit themselves, aren't they? What do you think of Channel 9's position on this whole tirade? It's so transparent that it's just pathetic. And the fact that you don't see anyone attacking them from any other networks is just Channel 9, supposedly the home of rugby league. And every single random unnamed employee of Channel 9 suddenly coming out and tweeting almost the exact same thing at the exact same time. It's genuinely pathetic. I wish so much that Channel 10 had control of rugby league. When you think back to the Big Bash, when it was on Channel 10, it was just so positive and it felt good. And then as soon as the Big Bash went to Channel 7, it was okay, but it wasn't as interesting. And I missed half the games and didn't give a shit. This just Channel 10 just had that that feeling to them like it was this privilege for them to have a, a, a big time sport that was getting attention. And they, they, they hired people that were a little bit younger and a little, little bit more interesting and not just didn't just feel like a boys club. Channel nine has always felt like a boys club where they just hire their mates and doesn't matter what their talents are whatsoever. Xander, what do you think of that point? The fact that we should give the broadcast rights to a channel like network 10, which would just be appreciative of anything it could get, any of the crumbs that would fall off the table. Do you think Channel 10 would do a better job at broadcasting rugby league than Channel 9 would? Well, I can't see Channel um, 10 making the mistake of trying to make uh, Ray Hadley a TV commentator, so I agree with Mario. Um, <laughs> I just think that the 9, they've had it for so long, they, they have gotten a bit stale in their coverage, and I've got Fox, and as much as I hate Fox, um, their coverage is better. And so I, and because everything is simulcast, I just don't watch the nine coverage because, you know, I think, for example, Warren Smith is a better commentator than anybody else on uh, Channel 9 at this point, um, including Ray Warren, uh, to be completely honest, who's, who's kind of getting a little bit um, slower in his commentary, uh, as most people have probably noticed by now. Um, so I, I think that it would benefit from having a fresh set of eyes and, and new personalities actually getting the game. Sorry, Xander, just to be clear here, are you having a go at the great Ray Warren? Rabs Warren? The voice of rugby league? This seems sacrilegious to me. No, what's sacrilegious is that statue that was made of him. The one that doesn't bear his likeness whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks like an oompa loompa Ray Warren. Isn't that the thing that uh, basically precipitated Andrew Voss's downfall at Channel 9? That's right. I think he got into a, uh, a fight with Hadley or somebody about it, right? Yeah, because Ray Hadley is a nasty piece of shit. Uh, I think it was just an innocuous comment. I think he had an axe to grind against Andrew Voss and used something as frivolous as that as the reason he should be fired. And in the end, he got what he wanted. But anyway, he's a, he's a nobody now and not associated with rugby league, so we're all happy about that. But look, Channel 9, Mario, they've been in deep financial shit themselves. Are they just trying to drive down the price here, you think? Or do they actually not want Rugby League to run in 2020 at all? Because as I alluded to at the top of this segment, apparently they've told their shareholders if, it, if the Rugby League season doesn't go ahead, they're ahead financially. So are they just sort of campaigning to have the NRL not go ahead? So um, if I may, Billy Buttons on the Screaming Eagles was talking about the, the finance side of this. Big shout out to the Screaming Eagles. Good potty. They're completely up in the air as to whether or not they've they've simply said this is what we'll save, but it's a they're just not seeing the forest for the trees. As in, yeah, they saved that hundred and thirty million dollars, but then there's all the advertising revenue that doesn't flow on, and more and all the 
the ratings for their garbage shows that usually flow on. Like, you know, Married at First Sight, it gets ratings because they can advertise it during rugby league or during mm. whatever other sport. Uh, if, if they don't have that platform, then no one's giving a shit about it and it's going to die. So I, I think it's just really short side of the Channel 9 anyway. But to answer your question, I think it's both. I think they are hoping to drive the price down, in which case it is worthwhile going ahead. But if they can't drive the price down, they'll just say, screw NRL and let's take a year off and we'll, we'll bank that $130 million to make it look to our shareholders like we're being proactive and that we're being smart with money, even though it's a smokescreen and they're just not really being smart at all. Now, I think it was quite mean, Xander, of Mario to suggest that Married at First Sight wasn't quality programming. Um, obviously, they're the home of many uh, great shows, homegrown shows. Uh, Love Island Australia comes to mind, where Australia's worst white trash come together to fornicate on a very small island. Do you think uh, that Channel 7, Xander, might be a better place for Rugby League to go? They've come out and expressed an interest in taking on the free-to-air rights. Um, at least for rugby league's sake, the NRL's sake, this is a good thing, right? Because it means there could be a bit of a bidding war and Channel 9's evil plans have been foiled to some degree. Yeah, I think any competitive tension is a good thing. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Seven's coverage of sport in general, but I think uh, if Nine um, looks like they might lose it to a competitor, it could change the calculus. It's definitely a benefit to the game. I mean, you know, with, with negotiations like this, uh, Having one dominant bidder uh, just makes the relationship fairly lopsided, and it does it does put the game in a vulnerable position. So, the more outside parties that are interested, the better. And and frankly, from a rating standpoint, the game is in a very good position. I mean, you know, cumulatively, it it, um, it outrates any other sport in Australia. Um, the last couple of years, in particular, I think the last last two years, it outrated the AFL on a cumulative basis. Even Coits. Coits, uh, no, I, I don't know what Coits is, but I, I would assume so. Mario, can you inform Xander what Coits is? Everyone knows it's when, you, when you're not very good at freestyle swimming, at the swimming carnival at school, the, the dickhead kids have to play Coits. You'd be aware of this, wouldn't you? I've never heard of this in my life. <laughs> Maybe it was just a my school thing. Uh, but no, no, I love what you're saying there, Xander. I'm not a huge fan of Channel 7's coverage of some sports either, actually. But it's a good segue to uh, find out who do we think, if it did go that way, would be the hosts. So who's the natural host from Channel 7 who would come in and, and be the sort of Ray Warren-type character of Rugby League and who would be the James Bracey? Uh, have we got anyone that would come to mind? My, my great fear is that they would, they would get somebody um, like um, Bruce McAvaney or, or something like that. <laughs> to do it like just a, an all sport commentator or or even worse they might pull out the the guy that they used to get union gordon bray who used to explain every single room, rule whenever it was um whenever anything happened on the field um because he assumed that everyone in the audience was a two-year-old mario has xander been um lacking charity there with bruce McAvaney. he is the uh australia's sport encyclopedia he was there for the call of the great Cathy Freeman in 2000. In fact, we remember that uh, race solely for his commentary, nothing to do with Cathy's achievements. Could Bruce McAvaney be a very good NRL commentator, in your opinion? I have no doubt he could be a very good NRL commentator. The problem is his voice is too associated with AFL commentary, unless I'm mistaken. I just don't think it would sound right. Yeah, I just keep hearing, Cathy. Run, Kathy. That's all I can hear. I think it actually during that 2000 Olympics, I don't know if this is documented, I looked on his Wikipedia, he did actually have an orgasm during that race. That's how much he loves sport. 
It's funny. That's actually what how they um, what he says when he's introduced in any coverage. Now he actually just opens with "Run, Kathy." Kathy, go you good thing. I think he had cash on it. Look, you know, Xander mentioned something earlier, and look, this this actually steers away from even uh, mainstream media broadcasters. I know that we've had the likes of ESPN, uh, the NRL have had discussions with them. Uh, look, if they, if all those discussions with major broadcasters go pear shaped, could they look at other streaming platforms as an alternative? Could they NRL be posted on something like I don't know Pornhub? Have viewers masturbating during Origin? Because let's face it, that's all the Maroons supporters did when Wally Lewis played. Mate, it was all I did over the last two years. Um... <laughs> was that per try or just per game? <laughs> per try, mate. Per try, without a doubt. Jeez, that Perth game left oh, me pretty yeah, fucking tired, I tell you what. <laughs> I, was just, I couldn't walk for a week. Um, <laughs> so where was I? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think well, a Pornhub giving away free membership, so it probably wouldn't be great from a revenue standpoint. Great brand alignment, especially with the Penrith Panthers in the comp. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but I do think um, you know, ESPN Live, um, they've spoken about uh, options like Netflix and, and others. The and Optus, of course, being a, a an obvious one. The trouble with those platforms is is that even with the sort of paltry amount that Optus uh, attracts for um, uh, English Premier League, uh, when it telecasts games overnight, you know that's it wasn't a, you know those ratings aren't significant. You know, like they're they're sort of um, I think the kind of twenty to thirty uh, k market max, which is kind of like your average Melbourne Rebels game in Super Rugby. Ooh, that hurts. When, it, when anyone says to you the phrase, it's a bit like a Melbourne Rebels game, you know you're fucked. It was intended to have that effect. Um, but, you know, they're, they're not, the point is that they're, they're not like a Friday night football match, which will attract, say, upwards of a million viewers if it's a blockbuster. Um, the, the streaming uh, you know, networks that we have at the moment aren't really set up to handle that for, for live coverage. So they would need to be confident that the infrastructure could manage it. I mean, for, for big tournaments around the world, they obviously can. Those, those numbers are paltry for like a, an NFL or something where they, they stream easily a lot more than that. Um, but if they could get it going, if they could, they could uh, guarantee that they, they could do it in high definition, I don't know, about 4K, um, then I think it would be a brilliant option because it would also potentially give the NRL the opportunity um, to actually take ownership of that broadcast and, and do, say, like what the NFL does and, and sell direct subscriptions um, to the broadcast themselves. You've put me into the fetal position. The idea that we have we have Optus fighting with Foxtel for control of rugby league, have we not learned the lessons of the mid-90s? I'm dead set in the fetal position, screaming Super League over and over. No, no, no to Optus. Well, you know, my concern here is actually from a technology standpoint, Mario, because I hate the idea of a streaming provider being the primary or exclusive broadcaster. And I think about a game like Origin Origin 3. Remember when Fergo made that break? How bad would it be if it suddenly started buffering during that moment or if there was like a bandwidth issue? I mean, for me, I actually don't mind the idea of, of streaming providers. I'm not talking necessarily... Optus versus Foxtel here. I'm talking any streaming provider that can offer up the coin and the technology to do it. But I'd hate the idea of there being a buffering aspect to it. That'd be awful. I'm not I mean, sure it's, of, it's a... of the laws involved, but being any major sport 
has to be on free-to-air television, so it's out of the question anyway. Free to You're talking about the the anti-siphoning laws. So they they it's yeah, it's, it's yeah major major events and in, in, in sporting uh, contests and there there's wiggle room in the way that that legislation is drafted. It's the reason that um, the Waratahs can be completely locked away on 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 um, uh, cable TV, even though they were once once a brand that people recognised. So the sticking point would be um, if those rights were exclusive, which I'm not advocating for, to be clear. Um, I think the idea of, of, of putting it to a, a new streaming service, though, opens up the game to new markets as well, because you could do, say, like what the NFL do and offer an NFL international pass with people around the world. If the NFL owned that digital platform, um, say in partnership with a Netflix or somebody else, ESPN Live, and they had control over the broadcasting uh, options around it, then it would provide opportunities, I think, um, for the game to grow. But look, we did put this out to Twitter as well, gents. We said, which free-to-air network would you like to see broadcast the NRL in 2020? Now, uh, 50% went with Network 10. 38.1% said 7, and only a miserly 12.2% said they'd love it to remain with the 9 network. So they're definitely on the nose at the moment. But the thing I want to point out to our listeners is this. Underneath the poll, obviously, we, we do garner a fair few comments there. But I love the first comment because it's from Mario, uh, who said, easily 10. Uh, obviously a big fan of the 10 network, Mario. Why did you feel the need to comment underneath this poll, mate, when you knew you were going to be on the show anyway? I forgot <laughs> um, that I really, really, really like the idea of Ricky Ponting commentating rugby league. That guy could, I would listen to him commentate just about anything. He is absolutely brilliant. And I reckon he would be amazing if they snuck him into the rugby league commentary. Look, there are a few other comments beneath here. Uh, we had one from Giannis who said, yes, Channel 10 would innovate the coverage. Uh, we also had the Swiss cowboy who said, I don't care. As long as it isn't nine and the other broadcasters realise this is a warning shot for them, that the sport can survive without them. So in other words, no broadcaster has leverage over the NRL ever again. Uh, the Biggest Tiger, big shout out to Big T. He also uh, added ABC Grandstand and said, please, you're the third I've seen and none that have had ABC as an option. ABC for the win. Sorry, Big T, the devil was in the detail. I said free-to-wear uh, commercial, didn't I? Probably didn't, actually. You probably have a good point. I've been caught in my own logic. Um, guys, are we, we surprised that uh, Channel 9 polled so poorly there, Xander? No. Oh, yeah. uh, well, on that note, guys, that does bring us to the end of the show. Um, what does the rest of the night hold for you guys? Are you up to anything exciting? Uh, uh, Xander, I assume you're doing the usual combination of Vegemite on your testicles and letting a hungry canine lick it off. Um, is that what the typical Friday night is for you these days? No, my, my dog's a bit particular, mate. She doesn't like uh, Vegemite. Well, what's the spread? Don't leave us in suspense. What does she like? <laughs> I'm just going to leave that hanging there, <laughs> which is what I'll be doing later tonight, frankly. <laughs> uh, Mario, what about you, mate? You, what's happening on your side of the fence? Well, the fact that it's been um, after years of particularly bad drought in the area, it's actually rained quite a bit the last couple of months, means that every night I quickly race out in, uh, naked into the paddock, dodging around the sheep and chooks, and I jump in the dam just for fun. Okay. Weirdly, your night's even more disgusting than Xander's. I don't think you could top his. 
Um, look, before we go, Murray, I want you to explain this because I did want to give Sports Best Friends a bit of a plug. Um, you and I at the moment are involved in, well, I should say my uh, the Voluntary Tackles show is involved in a, a draft competition going on at the moment. Can you let our listeners know a little bit about that and how it works? Uh, absolutely. We have 17 players involved who have joined the competition and um, Big T has used some sort of a supposedly unbiased and random system that has very strongly benefited you, Eamon, more so than everybody else I've noticed, um, where we simply, we do in order, 1 to 17, we pick a player for our team and then we have a free round at 1am that night where everyone races their, their answers in and we are now five rounds through and have chosen you know, the players that we have wanted in our team until we get to the 18th round where we will have chosen 17 players and a coach. And it's been really fun. There's lots of good banter in the, in the group chat for, for it. And if it does, if it is successful and people seem interested in it, Big T is quite keen on potentially doing it again in the future on a bigger scale. Yeah, I've actually really enjoyed it more than I thought I would, to be honest, because I've never liked things like fantasy leagues and I always feel like there's way too much work, but essentially you get to pick the best players uh, from 1980 onwards, and then you let that team be judged when each player has selected their entire team via a draft. And so far, I'm quite impressed with my picks. I know it's very, it's very rooster bystander. You'd be uh, happy to hear. I think every single player I've selected so far has played for the Roosters at some point in their career. Tell the people who you've chosen. Who are your five players so far? I believe, if I can remember off the top of my head, uh, Brad Fittler is the captain at five eight. I've got Maloney at halfback, Brett Mullins at fullback, Justin Hodges out wide, and I've got Sonny Bill Williams in the second row. So I'm pretty confident with that team. And I've got, it's obviously strictly confidential, but um, I've got some a pretty big forward pack planned. Uh, what about yours, Mario? Who have you got? I, I think it looks quite manly biased from memory. You've got the Steve Menzies-Cliff Lyons combination. It wasn't my intention to be all manly players, but once I missed out on Joey and Freddie, I was like, nah, screw it. I'm sticking with all manly players. Um, I was very heartbroken to miss out on Ian Roberts, who was my next pick in the fifth round, but somebody got him just a bit before me. So so many men in their early 20s said the same thing in the mid-90s. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, my players I've chosen have been Cliff Lyons, Beaver Menzies. Um, oh, I know I keep forgetting one. Um, Jay- Jamie Lyon, uh, Br- Brett Stewart, and one other that, I, oh, and Des Hasler, that I haven't decided yet if he's my hooker, my halfback, or my coach. Oh, that's of course, yeah, because he's played and coached a club. There's a dilemma in itself. I'm a little bit, um, to be honest with you, Mario, I'm a little bit disappointed you didn't go with Michael Barney yet. I assume he will end up making your team. Uh, but no, it's a lot of fun. So a big shout out to Sports Best Friend and the Draft and Big T. I think it's a really good idea for... Uh, rugby league fans to get behind in this weird lockdown phase before the competition kicks off on May 28. Um, I'm, I'm hoping at the end of the day we put it out to the public and let the public decide which team they think would win a competition between all of the players. That's my pipe dream at this point. That is actually what's happening. That is what's happening. Fantastic. I should read the rules. Look, that takes us to the end of the show. Um, thank you very much, listeners, for hanging in there. We hope we've been able to provide you with a brief respite from the world of global lockdown. If you'd like to keep up with the show, please follow us on the handle at Voluntary Tackle on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. I think we're also on Pornhub 
uh, but I'm in discussions with my manager about that. We'd also really appreciate a quick rating and comment on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance or wherever you listen to the show. We'd love to do this more regularly. Uh, We can only do that with your help and endorsement. So until next time, just do what Michael J. Fox would do and turn a fun electric wiggle pen into just a normal biro. Think about it. See you next time.